1: from Ocala, Florida.
2: And I'm Mary Kitzmiller from Kemp, Texas, and you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for August 9th, episode 1991. Today's show is brought to you by Horseware. Good morning, Horse World. What is your favorite day of the week? You never stop learning. You never stop understanding. It's more in-depth than just riding a horse knowing that for the rest of my life, I could work on this and, and I'll never stop learning. Mary.
1: Yay. Welcome back, Mary. She's here the th- second Thursday of every month. And uh, she and I get to hang out here and geek out on horse training of all sorts. Welcome back. How you doing, Mary?
2: I'm doing good
1: you've had great adventures since we chatted last and they are extensive. So give us the, before we get to our tip, give us the quick one Oh one of, uh, Remy's adventures for anybody who hasn't been listening recently and is uh, familiar with Remy.
2: Yeah. So Remy, my extreme Mustang makeover horse for Fort Worth this year. Um, we've hit that stage in training where he's doing some stuff pretty good. I'm, 80% 80% sure I'm not going to die when I climb into the saddle. So uh, when you hit that point and you're getting ready for uh, the makeover, the important thing to try and do is get your horse hauled out. Um, and this is one of the biggest challenges with these horses. I was just talking with someone about this the other day. When I um, worked for reigning trainers and we had faturity horses, um, those horses are only three years old when they show at the big the big show, the faturity. Um, But they've all had two years of training and we've hauled them a lot. So by the time you get to the show, you know that horse, you know that, okay, this horse needs, um just 20 minutes of warm up and they're good to go. Get in and out. This horse needs to be ridden a long time and get used to the show pin. This horse doesn't like his face fussed with the first day. And then you can, you know, you can get more focused tomorrow and blah, blah, blah. So you really know how that horse shows these makeover horses. You have four months on a horse that if you're lucky, you've been able to haul to a few shows. Um, and so what trips up a lot of people, and what has tripped up me in the past is I get my horse to the show. I think, you know, you're acting kind of tired. I better save you for the class. I think you're ready. And then they go in there. The air conditioning hits them, and they're crazy, and you're just <laughs> – You're pulling them out of the rafters pretty much the whole class. Uh, (laughs) My first class was like that in last year's makeover. And then my mare showed terrific the other two classes and placed the highest I've ever placed in the preliminaries. So knowing all that, I was very, very intent on getting Remy hauled out and hitting as many little shows or trail rides or, you know, whatever. Just get him out and sorting. about. Yeah. Yeah. Just let the world happen around him. So I started doing that a couple weeks ago and uh, went to his first – show in Gainesville and, uh, he did really well. And, uh, I went to a show this last Saturday and he was showing against seasoned Western pleasure quarter horses. Uh, it was your typical open show with some AQHA classes and he did really good. We won two classes. Uh, the judge even came up and asked, uh, how old he was. And I told her, she said he was only three and he was only gathered last October and she said he was really broke. So that was, that was Yay! really nice. Yeah. I'm really proud of my guy. Is he only three? I didn't realize he was that young. Yeah. He's just a baby. Um, yeah. Three years old, three years old and only gathered, uh, last October. So he's, uh, hasn't been out of the wild very long.
1: Interesting. And I always wonder, um, and maybe this is something we can chat about a little bit later is, How the age of the horse, when he's gathered, how long they've been in holding, you know, those types of things, how they play into how the horse deals with his new lifestyle as a domesticated animal.
2: Yeah, I think it's definitely a factor. Um, You know, it's not... It's not 100% concrete. I've had uh, two-year-olds that were born in the facility act wilder than anything you can imagine. And I've had some older six or seven-year-olds that were pretty great to get along with. But, you know, for the most part, I think getting them pretty young, especially a gelding, because Remy, you know, he was only gelded late last year, but being three, he didn't, you know. He was kind of just running around with other little he studs his age. Yeah. yeah, he was. He didn't really get to sow his oats, so to speak. So he has no steadiness to him at all. He's pretty easy to get along with. He's your typical gelding.
1: Typical gelding. <laughs> all righty. Well, we've got a, cr- a cl- training tip this time, and it just says in my notes here, it depends. And I, I told Mary, don't give me any hints on what this is beforehand. I want to be surprised. So. Okay, it
2: depends on what? What's this all about? Well, that depends. Um, so, this actually started, uh, most of my training tips kind of spring into my brain over stuff I see on Facebook, um, and uh, Shauna Karish, uh, the clicker training person who's been on the show and she's got her own pod- podcast coming up, Um she had posted a very good post about training a horse's emotions and getting them in the right state of mind. And, um, that got me thinking, you know, uh, we talk about these themes of animals, emotions, and the science of what's going on in their brains and the science of behavior. And most people associate, um, that kind of thought with clicker training or positive reinforcement training because it is a very science-based approach. And so much so that there are a few who kind of tend to think, and this isn't Shauna at all. She's very cool and open-minded and everything. but, But some people tend to think that the only people who really have tapped into this type of training of Really understanding a horse's minds, really having a solid understanding of science based training are clicker trainers. But, you know, what I've noticed is across all the really great horsemen out there and the great philosophies and programs, um, this idea of Getting a horse's mind right really permeates throughout all of those things. And that got me thinking about Tom Dorrance and Ray Hunt, who many consider to be the, the godfathers, the grandfathers of the natural horsemanship movement. Um, so all your Pirellis and lions and, and those guys, they come from Tom and Ray and, and the, the folks in that ilk. Um, so Tom Dorrance, uh, I never got to meet him, never got to ride with him, but I've, I've, you know, read about him and talked to people who knew him and rode with him. And, um, you know, from, by all accounts, he was nearly kind of this mystical trainer, like super <laughs> legendary. You wonder, sometimes you hear about a trainer from way back and people really talk him up. I think cause it, it, it bolsters their own program if they're someone who's worked for that guy, you know, yeah. so so they reach this nearly mythical status. And I've always wondered, you know, was he really that great? And by all accounts, I think Tom was one of those people that lived up to the legend. And um one of the things that is oft quoted that he would say when is it depends, it all depends. And so, you know, someone would go up to Tom and say, um, well, my horse won't get in the trailer. What should I do? You know, what do you think he's doing? And, um, what kind of training would work and whatever they're, they have this question and they'd expect this very neat, specific little answer wrapped in a bow tie. Well, you need to do step one, step two, step three, and your horse will be fine. But Tom would always answer, well, it all depends. And, and I find a lot of great trainers, answer it that way. It depends. And when you first hear it, you might think, Well, oh, I'm getting blown off. This guy didn't listen to anything I said. And, you know, he's just here for the paycheck and, and, uh, he doesn't care. And really it's not that at all. It's, it's the truth. Um, it really does depend. So, you know, an example, I'm looking at these auditor questions, um, you know what? Do you, and what do you do if your horse is uncomfortable about deer? Or what do you what do you do if my horse is afraid of ATVs? And someone has a really interesting question about a horse that's. Um, That's fishtailing with their hind end when they're trying to ride it down the horse uh, down the fence. The horse's hind end kind of it looks like it swings to the inside and they're like, what do I do? And that's a really good it depends question, because as I'm thinking, how am I going to answer this? I'm thinking, well, why is the horse doing this? Um, Are they doing it because they're nervous? Are they doing it because someone in the past overdid lateral work and the horse is just trying to offer what they think is the correct answer? Um, Is there a body Work issue at hand. Maybe the bit is too severe for this horse, and they're answering it by falling behind the bit and swinging their hind in around. And so there's a ton of factors that might be causing this issue. If you have 10 horses that won't get in a trailer, I guarantee you, you'll probably have 10 different reasons of why the horse won't get in the trailer. You'll have 12 different ones.
1: Sorry. You have 12 different reasons. Exactly.
2: (laughs) It could be because it's Monday and he doesn't load in the trailer on Mondays. Um, Remy is a perfect example. He's been an angel about getting in the trailer. Just so good. And then one of the little things I hauled up to was a a little obstacle play day. Um, He, did not want to get in the trailer. He just—he had this look of terror on his face, like, I can't get in the trailer. And I had to really think, why? Why won't you get in the trailer? Why did you get in the trailer coming here? You've gotten in the trailer every time I've asked, 100% of the time, why won't you do it now? And the answer, after really thinking and observing him, was was not your typical answer. The reason he wouldn't get in the trailer, to my best uh, guess, my my most educated and thoughtful guess was because i had parked the trailer next to a pen filled with dozens of baby goats and <laughs> i remember <laughs> yeah and i remember when i unloaded him to tack him up i had to tie him on the opposite side of the trailer because he was just he wasn't going to hang with the baby goats no. no he he didn't spook didn't jump didn't run off but he was just enraptured by this group of baby goats, and he did his famous um, squirrel pose where he just stops, and his head shoots straight in the air, and he looks like a a saddlebred, and he's completely intent and focused on these goats, and I didn't think much of it, saddled him up, led him in the arena, rode the obstacle course. Well, when I loaded him up that night, it was dark, and my trailer that I took is an open trailer. It's got slats on the side you can see through. And so he would step his front feet in, and then he would see the shadows of these tiny little goats looking at him through the slats of the trailer. Zombie goats! Oh my gosh! He he didn't want to get on, so... You know, it's it's a uh, long story short, um, when you're working with a horse, uh, it's not always this I've got to fit, you know, tab A into slot B neat little Packaged answer that's going to work for you. You could have all the books and DVDs in the world and follow the greatest trainer who has this great program. But if you've worked with horses for any amount of time, you realize that you sometimes have to flip the script, go back to the drawing board, rewrite the program, experiment, try something new. And the most important thing is you really have to look at that horse and figure out what's going on, what's going on in your head. What do you need? You know, if it's a fear issue, we've got to build your confidence. If it's a body issue, we've got to make sure you feel comfortable and, and as pain-free as I can possibly get you. Um, if it's because you're stiff and stubborn and, and unyielding, we need to work on foot control and teach you to soften up and, and be supple and, and, you know, um, that sort of thing. So, um, I think that it depends really goes a long way into understanding the secret of training horses
1: there you go you have to be you have to be observant and thoughtful and and logical about it all right you can't just get your emotions involved with it so, Oh, he won't get on he hates me that's not gonna help anybody
2: that's my biggest drawback um with training horses that's my achilles heal is I don't typically lose my temper. Um, I don't typically get stubborn and butt heads. Mine is, um, what am I even doing with my life? Why am I out here? I don't have any talent for anything. I should just jump off a cliff. Um, so you got to stop that (laughs) Yeah, and think about it. If that goes through your head, what goes through the horse's head when they're unsure? Um, you yeah. know, so sometimes you're both just scared little creatures trying to help each other out. And yeah, you got to have consideration and for you, each other.
1: You don't want to let the and that's interesting that you made, you made that observation about once he's in the trailer, what's he seeing? Because he he tried to get in and then said, "No, I can't be all the way in there." Um, there's and now, what did you do to finally get him in the trailer? Did you move away from the goats?
2: Um, that was something I considered doing. Um is okay, we'll just we'll just move away from the situation. Um in Remy's case, I just waited. That's all I did. He um I and I think specifically because he did the same thing. I took him to an arena last night, and I had another horse tied to the other side of the trailer, and he got on. And kind of went, oh my god, and jumped back off. And I had this same moment of what the heck? And then I realized, oh, he sees these horse ears peering in through the slats of the trailer, and then yeah. just that particular thing wigs him out. Um, and so in both situations, I just waited. If he backed off, I really gently asked him to load. I didn't hustle his feet and make him work. You know where he didn't want to be and rest where he did want to be because it wasn't this. Um, In his case, it wasn't him being obstinate or stubborn or lazy or contrary. And I knew that if I hurried his feet and ran him around in a million tiny little circles, he's already anxious and scared. That's just going to rev him up more. And yeah. now he's really not going to get in. So in fear issues, um, I'm just going to wait. Let him look. And then I'll gently ask again, and that's what ended up working. He kind of went, "Well, maybe it's not that scary." And then he stepped on, and he was a good boy. Um, so so he, ba- you know, some- he
1: basically just you you he exposed himself in that he he saw what was going on, and he saw what was going on, and he kept repeating, "Okay, it's scary up there. It's not so scary back here." Until he got to the point, well, I guess it's just not all that scary. I've seen it thirty-two times in a row now. Nothing's bads happened. So okay.
2: Yeah, let them do their own investigation and, you know, let some of those, as long as you're in control of the situation, your horse isn't getting ready to flip over or run off, you know, let them, let them inspect and look and go, okay, is this a plastic bag or a mountain lion? Um, you know, give them a <laughs> chance. <laughs> is it a plastic bag or a mountain lion? <laughs> and that, that's literally what goes through their head is, Um, am I about to get killed or is it just going to make a crinkly noise? Um, (laughs) and, uh, you know, sometimes if you just wait and let them get right in their own head and realize, you know what, I'm going to be okay. Um, They'll sort it out themselves. Again, you know, if something really bad's gonna happen and they're just gonna run away with their thoughts and it's gonna go crazy. You wanna step in there and control their feet and make sure everything's gonna be safe. But in Remy's case, in both situations, I just sat there and said, you know, have a look. It's gonna be okay. If but if I had been there like poking and prodding and pushing him, he would have just said, Nope. It's kind of like, um, I'm terrified of heights. And I used to psych myself out trying to jump off the high dive when I was a kid at a swimming pool. And, you know, I'd walk to the edge of the diving board and I'd really have to think about it. Like, you can do it. You could do it. You got this. And then I'd jump off. But if I had someone behind me, like kind of pushing into my back every few seconds, I would be down off that high dive, off the ladder so quick. And I would refuse to do it. I would yeah. just be out of my brain scared. But if yeah. you just leave me alone and let me think my way through it, I might build up the confidence and jump.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting. Um, last week I had a little project going. I took, I have a clothesline in the barn that stretches across the aisle way. And that's where I dry all the horse laundry. And it's a bit of a struggle when that's there. And I have to lead the horses up and down the aisle way because hello, there's a clothesline full of stuff in the way. So, periodically, I leave the stuff up there long after it's dried so that the horses have to walk under it with the stuff hanging all over it. And Nigel, in particular, struggles with this. Um, and it relates, and it, it's something I do regularly because it relates back to his issues with horse trailers. He doesn't like things that feel enclosed. He's pretty sure he's going to crash into something with his head or his body and. Lo and behold, he does. Uh, so I thought, well, this, this is good because you can't crash into a towel, right? You can't hurt yourself. You can't cause himself physical pain with a towel. And I discovered with both he and Scooter, Scooter's a very alpha pony, extremely alpha. He needs to be in charge of the entire universe at all times. <laughs> and with both of them, when it comes to walking under the clothesline full of clothing... It's key that I let them work it out. Okay, they'll stay, They'll walk right up to it and touch it with their nose, but actually physically going under it, no amount of hustling those hooves makes them want to do it. Now, getting them to the point where they go up and touch it, there was a lot of hoof hustling because it's like, yes, you can touch that. But once we got to that point, it was very much, uh, okay, we're going to wait. I'm going to stand here and I'm going to say, walk on. And you're going to walk up one step and you're going to touch it with your nose and then you're going to back up one step. And I'm going to say walk on one step. And it was that back and forth dance. And if I p- gave, gave too much pressure, the panic set in and then we were back to the other end of the aisle way. So I had to let them work it out calmly in their own time. And it was it was surprising. Once they did it once, each time I would do it, because it was a daily occurrence, I just left the clothes line up. Each day... That back and forth struggle got shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. Well, then I'd take the clothesline down, and a couple of weeks later I'd put the clothesline back up. And each time that clothesline would reappear a few weeks apart, the whole process got shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. So I suspect this next time I hang it up, it won't even be. It's like, oh yeah, the clothesline there. So what? But the clothesline's not been there for several weeks. So that let them work it out and then let them dwell on it and then let them work it out. So that's, that's
2: kind of cool. It is. And, and uh, what you just said, that whole process, that is my secret to obstacles. Um, you know, one, If you have to work the horse away from the obstacle to get them to even approach, um, you know that's great. And if if I have a button that's not working with my horse, their go button's not working, or it's working too well, and their (laughs) their stop button's not working, I fix that away from the obstacle. Let's go to this corner. Let's make sure you can side pass so you won't jump on top of me. Let's make sure you can back up so you know if I need you to stop and get back away from something, you will. Let's make sure you'll go forward. Let's make sure you go left and right and then when you approach the obstacle if you can set it up to where you release the horse over under into um through the obstacle they'll find that relief going to the obstacle and in the, the second part of that if you can get your horse to take the blinders off um and and do inspect it put their nose to it sniff it really look at it you their confidence just skyrockets anytime I feel like I've poked and prodded my horse over under through an obstacle even if they've crossed it I feel like I've lost because it's just me shoving them over something it doesn't it won't help them for next time it won't build that confidence
1: yeah that whole curiosity thing they once they investigate it and conquered it for themselves it's a very different reaction 24 hours later. Yeah. Yep. So uh, I think it's time to hear from our title sponsor, Horseware. And then we're going to get our first guest on.
2: Excellent.
0: In the world of horse racing and elite equestrian sports, it's all about how to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe is a truly portable and highly efficient circulation therapy system for your horse. Before activity, prepare to prevent damage by using the Ice Vibe's vibration pads. Repair after the event by using the unique combination of cold packs and vibration to minimise swelling and encourage blood flow. And because it's battery powered, Ice Vibe is truly portable. The essential and affordable tool to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe. You can find out more details about Ice Vibe at ice-vibe.com or horsewear.com or ask your local tax shop or online supplier for more information about Ice Vibe Circulation Therapy from Horseware.
2: Okay, we are back with our guest and uh, we're going to be talking with Charlotte Cannon today. Um, she's done a lot of showing. Hello. Uh,
0: hey, Shannon. Charlotte.
2: Hi, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I was just giving you an intro. I was talking about uh, you've shown a lot of different breeds of horses um, from thoroughbreds to paints. You most recently won the 2017 $100,000 thoroughbred makeover in the hunters um, section and then was top 10 in freestyle. Uh, You're out in South Carolina and the main reason I wanted to have you on, we're friends on Facebook and I've been watching you post over the last year or so on um, kind of a unique topic for clinics, and it was a perfect continuation on some of the themes I discussed last month on my show that has gained a lot of interest. Um, So you're covering a very interesting subject, something I don't see specifically addressed all the time. You're doing a lot of clinics on this topic. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about um, what it is?
3: Yes, yes. Um, I have been doing a whole lot of work on relaxation because I went to, you know, I have been hurt, you know, like a lot of us, we get busted up a bunch. And in trying to come back from my most recent deal, I had a lot of fear and that fear I found went away when I got a whole lot more balanced. And it occurred to me that maybe the horse's lack of balance may be contributing to this fear. And I went to a clinic with my friend um, Dancing Pete Rhoda, and he does a ten block system that he calls Walks a Line. And in that clinic, I saw horses going from an adrenaline space, which is the place most horses go when they become stressed, into this. Endorphin release, where they would put their heads all the way to the ground and start wiggling their lip on the ground. And Pete explained to me that that was what was happening. And these horses became so calm and connected and communicating that I was fascinated. And I started playing with his ideas. And I decided I wanted to create a cue system. To bring horses from an adrenaline kind of survival space into a endorphin release to create an overall feeling of well-being. And then also give the horses enough relaxation that they have access to be able to really jump brilliantly and cut a cow brilliantly. So, That ended up leading me to the 2016 Thoroughbred Makeover, and we were watching the freestyle, and a girl came in, Cedar Potts Warner, and she was doing Piaf and Passage, and these were horses that were, at the most, having been retrained 10 months, and I didn't really believe that that was a possibility, although I'm not a... you know a famous dressage person I thought that it took years to get horses to do piaf and passage so after the class and after it was over we ended up seeing cedar at the party and I asked her how did you do that and her horse had only been off the track nine months so she hadn't started early and she said through endo tapping and I didn't know what that Yeah, I didn't know what that was. And she said that she works for a guy named JP Giacomini, and he created endotapping. And I asked her if she would show me the next day what she was doing. So the next day we go out, and she gets her horse out, and she has this thing that looks like a dressage with a little rubber ball on the end of it. And, I mean, she has a great big... Out looking thoroughbred horse that looked like no joke and she would just tap on this horse and he would go his head would drop straight down to the ground he'd lick his lips he looked so quiet and she showed us that but she also showed us the focus that they seem to have with their endo tapping is they will tap to actually amplify the horse's feet so they use it more for the Piaf and the Passage to because when you tap on a muscle, it will cause the muscle to do more amplify whatever it was doing. So if it was relaxing, it will amplify it to relax more but if it was contracting, it'll contract more. So she has this incredible timing. Really she and JP both do and they can get a horse to just stand there and dance right in front of you with just this tapping. But that hasn't really been the focus of my tapping. My tapping, we wanted to get horses to really relax because doing the thoroughbred horses and also doing the all-around paint horses, relaxation was our biggest goal. So we started tapping on them and the horses would drop their heads, start wiggling their lip in the ground, but they also started finding more balance within their body which I thought was really, really interesting.
2: And That's such a cool topic, I think, um, of, you know, we all want our horses more relaxed, and uh, there's a lot of different ideas to get this done. And I think the biggest key that a lot of people look for is how to get it Almost on cue, not like a circus trick, but you know, I'm in the warm-up pen, they're calling my class, and my horse is doing uh, what I call like a voluntary pee off, <laughs> and I'm showing yeah, Western yeah, pleasure, yeah. you know. <laughs> he looks like a Libazon, and I've got to go in a Western pleasure class. Uh, so and um, you know, sometimes the the space that we have to work in and the time that we're given, um, is it's not conducive to taking your horse out and lunging him for an hour. Um, and if you've ever ridden any kind of breed like a thoroughbred or Morgan or an Arabian, you'll know that some of them have quite the stamina. Um, you know, Arabians are like, I could race 3000 miles in the desert without a drink of water. You lunging me for 10 minutes is not going to touch my energy. (laughs) And Absolutely. Yeah, and I've even seen tired horses that were still racked with fear and anxiety. They're dripping sweat, they're panting, but their mind is still a little goofy. And so, you know, it would be so convenient if I could do something that just sort of snaps my horse into this Oh. I'm relaxed. And I I just don't think we practice relaxation enough. We practice our lead changes. We practice our turnarounds. If you're showing a rainer, we practice our stops. We practice our side passing, but no one ever sits and say, let's practice relaxing. And last month, uh, and even the month before, um, when I was answering questions and I've, I've talked with a few clients since then about, Hey, you know, when you're riding horse, um, I call it soak time. Like I, with the Rainers, mm-hmm. we did it yeah. out of necessity because if you've just worked on some really intense turnarounds, meaning the horse is spinning as fast as they can right, and right. you're really drilling on that. Um, and I still have lead changes to work on yet. You cannot go straight from spin, 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 and then just pick up a loop and go lead change. Um, the horse right. is Physically too tired to do it. And mentally, um, it's like all the marbles have rolled out of their head. Um, And so they've got to stop. And actually, uh, I learned this from the Rainers. It's really interesting how some of these ideas carry across disciplines um, is in between Crazy maneuvers with that were really intense both physically and mentally. I would put the horse's head down and and a reigning trainer actually was the first he gave me the best analogy. I love it. He says it gives them the chance to let the marbles roll back into their brain um, putting their head down. Oh, yeah, all the marbles good. go back in there <laughs> and yeah. I would sit there, you know, with the rainers. It was very typical in between something really intense You know, if your horse is physically tired, you still got to cover a few more topics in the ride and mentally they need to just stop for a second. You just sit there and put their head in the the dirt. And, um, you know, I'd sit there and check my Facebook, make client calls and sit there five, 10 minutes with the horse's head on the ground. And what we noticed happened, um, is you give the horse a chance to rest. So you're rewarding them for, Hey man, those last turnarounds are great. Just, you know be on your own time for a few minutes um and then that horse will seek that oh head down yes okay and you can get them to snap to that oh we're relaxed everything's great um so I think that's really fascinating and it's something that people just don't think about practicing. So um, do you have uh, other co- so we know that um, with the endo tapping, you're working on lowering their head to get them to relax. Are there other specific exercises that do you do with your horse that you teach in clinics that help us to maybe sort of build that relaxation cue?
3: Yes, that's that's very interesting. you asked that because we do do the tapping until they go with their head all the way to the ground and doing their lips. But we also do turning their neck. Ah. There's a guy, there's a guy, Paul Williamson that I found after trying to research and see if there were other people doing.
2: I know who you're talking about. The, uh, the jockey, is he Australian? And he's in, yes.
3: Yes. And I found that, really fascinating because he says that when you turn the head like a normal lateral flexion, that that cuts off the adrenaline response, you know, sort of your fear response and it gives the horse a little endorphin release. And when he brings that head around, he holds it for a very short time, you know, 30 seconds or a minute, and then he can literally push the horse over and it lies down on the ground, and then it, you know, processes through things, and then comes up, and he's able to hop on, ride them. Like, it, it saves a lot of horses. And I found that to be so cool, because we all use bending. We all use these lateral flexions, and I never realized that those, that, that was what was happening with that.
2: That's a and really uh, interesting thing that you brought up with him, because I also, you know, kind of just came across this guy on YouTube. Um, it, whether you agree with what he's doing or not, it's definitely worth worth a look. And he also calls his method Indo tapping, but it's very different. Um, and it's, he, he, yeah, he laterally flexes the horse about to the point of its shoulder. And if you hold, and I've, I've actually done this myself. And it it took me a long time because in your mind, you're thinking you have to force it and really pull the horse around to get him to go down. And one day I just hit that Right combination of stuff and it is it is almost effortless you take that horse's head around And you hold it in a certain way and all of a sudden that horse just melts And you can take it all the way to where they go all the way to the ground or you can do what he calls a half tap Where you hold it for a specific time and you can see like all the chemicals just kind of getting released into the horse's Brain i'm not a scientist, but you do see the change that kind of comes over their face and they are there's a period of time after that where they're really relaxed and this guy is nuts because he's a jockey and he'll climb on anything (laughs) he will lay this horse down never been started and hop on and ride off and um i'm not that extreme in how i do it but um the point you brought up of this idea of lateral softness and suppling, I was taught probably like you were like, oh, that's how you get collection. That's how you get the horse to soften yeah. to the bit and yeah. make them look pretty in the show pen, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And I didn't realize um, I um, it started turning on my brain like, yes, this does create relaxation. Like if you look at Buck Brandeman, he's got an exercise called the serpentine and it's ridiculously simple. Um, You can start it on a horse in the round pen with two or three rides. You just take the horse left and take the horse right. And you set your legs in a certain way to start teaching them how to wrap around your inside leg. And in the beginning, the horse might be quite stiff. But the more you practice it, the horse softens and really curves around that leg. And what ends up happening, he calls it an exorcism for the horse. Like it gets rid of all the demons. Yeah. And and again it's yeah, so a,
3: this is all the same. Yeah. It's
2: all the same. Yeah. Everything's connected to everything else. It's crazy. And I know Buck's probably never heard of Indo tapping um and uh you know isn't doing this to be like, look at this voodoo method I created. But what ends up happening just by doing this, and you can't do it too much. He was saying in a clinic, you know, he's up in Wyoming, and you've got these big open areas of sagebrush. And he he tells his students, when I come out the next day, I want to see tracks around every little sagebrush out there. You just bend that horse <laughs> left and right, then left and right. It's great to do on the trail. And... What you'll see happen is a high-headed horse, that pole starts coming down, um, that jaw softens, that chin softens, the back lifts up. Um, it changes the horse's top line. You do it long enough, but it's a perfect exercise in situations. Like I mentioned earlier, there's no round pen available. The warm up pen's too crowded. I can't lunge my horse. I've got five minutes before the class or I'm on the trail. I don't have enough room to do a one rein stop or bend my horse in a tiny, tiny circle. I can go down that trail just left, right left, right, left, right. And what's great about that exercise is it does create relaxation. But if anything happens, you're halfway to a one rain stop because you've got your horse (laughs) bent laterally. So I think that's fascinating how this idea carries across programs. And these people may never have heard of each other.
3: Oh, and I I totally agree. And we're in the middle of summer camp right now. And I was playing with some of these ideas and I came up with a little deal because we have a lot of older show horses that we use for our lesson program because I love using very educated horses, but they can have little weird deals, ticks to them. And you'll get some horses that don't want to walk well. Like once the kids start trotting and cantering, then they get a little braced up when we go to walk. And so I had this idea that we could turn them into the fence. If the kids will pick up the outside rein, turn the horse into the fence and then let go of it. Let it walk down the fence. It prances again. We're going to pick up, turn it into the fence. And I just started all these like little tiny people turning these horses into the fence. Every time the horse would sort of brace, we turn it into the fence and shockingly so fast. The horses just melt and start walking just so quiet. And we have done it at the trot and the canter and the actual fence itself. You know, George Morris and his clinics will have you aim that horse at the fence and then you ask it to stop. And if it doesn't stop when it gets to the fence, it's going to bump into the fence. And he says, you use that obstacle to rebalance that horse and teach it to honor the hand. And this turning into the fence deal with the kids and those lesson horses is, Just crazy. Then the the horses, if they if they're too pushy running through the hand, they'll bump their head in the fence. But if they're going slow, so I mean it doesn't hurt anything, but it shifts their weight back. They lift their back up. They get their hock under them. They get quiet. They walk around. We can canter. Oh, canter a few laps. Walk on a dead loose rein. And it's using all these ideas you're just talking about to do something practical.
2: That's really um, interesting that you brought that up. Um, So I would call that, uh, that is actually that turning into the fence. And I usually incorporate it by um turning until the horse makes a complete 180 and is facing the other way but you can you don't have to go all the way but that is one of my secret weapon exercises and we <laughs> use it a lot in the rainers and the reason i say it's a secret weapon is because that exercise that turning to the fence and in my case all the way to to where you're flipped over and fit, uh, facing the other way that is one of those exercises that fixes everything. Is your horse too quick and sort of, you know, wanting to build speed? Gently turn him into the fence and go the other way. Something about doing a 180 resets a horse's mind for a moment. It's one of the reasons I believe a one-rein stop is so effective to uh, stop really bad things from happening. The horse is kind of, you're riding a colt along and he's like, oh my God, I need to run. I need to run I might buck. I might rear, I might jump over this fence and you turn (laughs) them gently. Yeah. You turn them gently the other way, either out in the open, or you can use that fence, which is such a helpful tool. And the horse kind of goes, they flip around and they're like, wait, what was I doing? And they'll kind of yes. relax for a second. And then then their mind will run away with them again because they're a crazy little baby colt. And they're like, no, I was about ready to run off. So they start building speed, building speed. And then you turn them into the fence, really gently, firm as necessary. But I'm trying to be very controlled and slow with it. I don't try to jerk them into the fence. Just very, hey, we're going the other way. And the horse will reset. And they're like, wait, what was I doing again? And you keep doing that over and over and over again until the horse goes, I guess it must not have been a big deal and they walk off really soft and then you just go like you're riding down the trail so it works on that horse if you have a horse that's um, a little bit on the lazy side you can't get them to pick up their lead changes or give you a snappy turn when you pick up the rain I will gently turn them into the fence but when they're almost all the way through the turn I sort of chase them out I pretend as if we've just stopped a cow on the fence in a rain and cow horse class Uh and the cow's now running the other way so we have to go catch that cow so you can use it for really snappy effective lead departures even if the horse doesn't have all this magical hip and shoulder control that we typically want for a good lead departure um if you have a horse that doesn't come to a stop and i've got one in training right now if you pull on two reins it's like trying to hook reins to a tractor (laughs) and stop the tractor she doesn't go very fast but she's not stopping either So you've got that magical fence and you know I give my very soft I sit down relax I say the W word I say whoa and I give her a second or two I give her every chance in the world to respond to the soft cues and if she just keeps ambling along which she is wanting to do I gently turn her in the fence and go the other way and I pick up a brisk trot out of it so that turn to the fence for her is more work than if she had just stopped and I'll do that over and over and over and over again I can you can even kick it up to a trot and a canner and And one of these times I'm going to say, whoa, and she's going to think, oh, we're going to turn into the fence. And in order to make that turn effective, she has to sit down on her butt. She has to pick up her shoulders in order to prepare to turn the other way. So that is how I get my sliding stop. So that's such a great exercise for relaxation, changing directions, rollbacks, lead departures, sliding stops. It's, It's a magical exercise. So I was really excited you brought that up. Well, that's, and that's so
3: funny because it just shows that when we're all thinking along the same lines, we can come up with the same deal. Because I do find the slow horses, we have, you know, some really slow lesson horses and turning them on the fence breaks all those body parts loose. And they do do this nappy canter departures, even with the little short legs of the kids on their sides or or sort of these adults that are kind of bracy, I really have found it helps break the people a little more loose and the horses loose. So you're right. The fast horses relax and slow down and the slow horses are able to relax and move. And I felt like that's so powerful. And one thing I do want to bring up in this conversation is JP that made up the end of tapping for the dressage kind of folks he was telling me that a horse cannot learn until it is relaxed and relaxation is the place where learning and retention come in and i've been teaching you know fear and the adrenaline go together and fear does block learning so the more we practice getting the horses in the relaxed space, that is where everything can sink in and line up. And like you said, I love that the marbles can all roll back in their head and find a little spot. I'll have to use that teaching. But it's cool that you physically need to be relaxed to learn. So we need to put so much more effort into teaching the horses how to relax. Because I don't care how talented you are, if you can body one around and change leads, it doesn't really learn until it relaxes and does it.
2: Exactly. And the the end product, you can completely see the difference between um, like with Piaf, for example, a horse that's swinging through those hips is so relaxed and they've got a soft mouth and a soft eye. It is so much more pleasing to watch than one that's maybe been poked and prodded into doing it and they're sort of just jumping Uh up and down and I was talking about voluntary PF earlier and that's what that looks like is the (laughs) horse is just really antsy and jumping in place and it's just not as pleasing to look at. So, you know, from a competitive standpoint, the product of a relaxed maneuver is so much better, um, and it's it's often scored uh, much better in the show pin. So it's worth it whether you just want to get along with your horse better or you want to get that competitive edge. Well, this has been a really interesting topic. It's got my brain working. I'm really excited to go out and play with my horses with some of these ideas we've talked about. Um, if someone wants to follow you, learn more about you, sign up for a clinic, uh, where can we find you? Do you have a schedule posted?
3: Well, we've got a website, foxpointfarm.com, and then I'm constantly on our Facebook page. We've, I've got a personal Facebook page, and then we also have a Fox Point Farm Facebook page. But I would love to help and you know answer questions and schedule clinics because it's a it's a really underappreciated part that could help everybody.
2: I, I totally agree with you. I think it's something the the brilliant horsemen take for granted that maybe they think everybody knows. And it's not something that's talked about a lot, focused on a lot. Uh, so I'm excited someone's out there doing this kind of work and um, hope to see more out of you in the future. And thank you so much for coming on today. It was really fascinating.
3: Thank you so much, Mary. I hope you guys have a great
2: day.
1: Well, that was pretty darn fun. My, that, that, I feel like my ha- brain has overheated.
2: I know. I know. I had so many more questions. We'll get her back on. Um, yeah. What what really kind of got my synapses firing was it was sort of sort of hooks into the, the Tom Dorrance thing. And, and why I was inspired to talk about that is if you take really established very talented, good trainers, no matter what discipline is out there, you'll find that we're all, um, we're all sort of speaking the same language, maybe different accents. I don't know if that's a good analogy, but, um, you you get these same ideas whether it's george morris or or um someone who's showing uh in dressage or or western or raining um you see these same ideas crop up over and over again um and so it's just if it, it fascinates me and i'm really excited when someone else has discovered something that i also do uh cuz it's really validating I'm like oh
1: okay. <laughs> yeah exactly this it's like oh, it's not just, just me yeah
2: yeah <laughs> um Yes. Uh, and sometimes I feel pretty proud of myself. I'm like, I discover this revolutionary new method. No one's, no one's even touching what I'm doing. And then you find out that like, George Morris does it. I'm like, oh,
1: <laughs> and it's interesting it's because been around. It, the, the background and the basis and the history and the, the um, origin of these different disciplines is so different yet the overall picture the the picture of the relaxed athletic cooperative team that's universal right we want the those we want the relaxed and the athletic to apply to both horse and rider so that the cooperative team can happen and i think it's kind of cool that we're seeing so much now of these different disciplines literally discovering how much they have in common because for a long period in in very recent history, we very much separated ourselves. It's, oh, show hunters have nothing in common with reigning horses. Ooh, raw. Not so much. It, it's, it's amazing if you open your eyes and listen carefully and pay attention. It's like, oh, wow, we really do have a lot more in common than we thought we did. It's not just the global part. A lot of those details are in common, too.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's always cool to sort of reach across the aisle and, and find out that you have more in common. Now, if only our politicians could do the same thing.
1: If only they could do the same. Well, speaking of things that are in common, <laughs> we'll get right off that politician thing. Uh, one of the things <laughs> that all of our disciplines have in common is that we want our tack to fit the horse well so that he can use himself to his best advantage and be comfortable. And one of our wonderful sponsors today, Total Saddle Fit, has created a cinch that can help you and your horse do just that. It's called the Shoulder Relief Cinch, which is extremely difficult to say, by the way. And (laughs) you might ask yourself, well, how does the Shoulder Relief Cinch make my horse more comfortable? Well, it's like this. It is designed so that the center of the cinch sits in your horse's natural girth groove. Yes, he has one of those. All horses do. And the sides of the cinch are cut back so that the latigos sit a little bit further back and prevent the saddle from being pulled onto the shoulders. You've seen it. You cinch up the girt the cinch it up and the latigos are kind of slanting forwards just a tiny little bit. Well, guess what? Your saddle is being dragged onto your horse's shoulders. Or you've seen that case where you cinch it up and the horse's elbows are all pinchy in there and he gets little galls. Also, bad news, it's not fitting him properly. Thus, the shoulder relief cinch. And it is designed out of top quality materials, and it comes with three different liners. You can buy the cinch with a liner, and then you can get extra liners. You can have spare liners of the same type. You can have spare liners of different materials, depending on what your horse likes. You can get top quality limestone neoprene, wool felt, or wool fleece. Makes them easy to clean and separatable. And newsflash, ding, 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 brand new from the folks at Total Saddle Fit. If you use an Australian saddle for cattle work or trail riding, or you use one of the trail style saddles that has the long billets that are kind of fat, that English girths don't fit in and western cinches don't either. Well, Total Saddle Fit has the solution. They've got a cinch made just for you. It also includes the overgirth strap because a lot of Australian saddles have those. More more recently designed ones don't, so it's removable. So we've got you figured out too, and you can learn more about those cinches and girths at totalsaddlefit.com or you can walk into your local retailer. Because they are one of the most popular cinches and girths on the market today. Just ask for the shoulder relief cinch or total, total relief, total saddle fit shoulder relief girth. As I said, it's really hard to say. And you can get one for yourself today. There you go.
2: Excellent. Excellent. I need to get one for my weird-backed Mustang. They all <gasps> have the weirdest little backs.
1: Well, so you, you need to check that out. Because hard-to-fit horses are especially thankful for their total saddle fit shoulder relief cinches and girths and speaking of thankful i'm thankful for chancy neal and we're going to hear from her girl with a guitar and then we will be right back with listener q my favorite part we've got so many of them
0: My life starts today well, I'm just a girl You say a good rider can hear his horse speak to him, but a great rider can hear his horse whisper. The years he's given me. Nobility without conceit. Friendship without envy. Beauty without vanity. A loyalty without compromise. I borrowed freedom when we rode. The history of mankind and civilization rode with us. His body took the weight of mine, and I was carried through. I can still hear that whisper.
1: Back, I hope Mary's here. She probably put herself on mute
2: because I am here. Yes, I forget to turn on the microphone half the time. So tech savvy. Yeah, I need a t shirt that says, Sorry, I was on mute. Yes, (laughs) actually, probably a lot of people would be happy. (laughs) No, not when you're on the podcast.
1: No, not on horses in the morning. Yeah,
2: Yeah, that's not practical.
1: Well, I think it's time we hear from some listeners. What do we got going okay, today?
2: Okay, I lost my questions. There we go. Okay, we have one from TJ Egg. It is, what is the best way to respond when your horse evades by offering the wrong behavior in response to a cue? For instance, I cue backing up by putting both of my heels back, and I cue leg yielding by pulsing me outside heel at the girth. Almost always, Cash will leg yield when I ask him to back. I don't know how to best communicate to him that that is wrong and what is right. So that's fairly typical, especially in the case of a young or green horse or when you're retraining. Um, and I'm going through this with, uh, my Mustang Remington, uh, because I have to get so much lateral work, um, and cues working on him for the makeover. I sometimes don't have time to break it up as cleanly as I would like. Um, so I'll put, uh, I'll put both legs on to ask him to go and he goes sideways instead. Or I put a leg at his shoulder to ask for his shoulder to step over and he moves his heel instead, or I'll ask him to back up. And he has done this too, where um, well, he doesn't leg yield. What he'll do is he'll move his hindquarters instead of backing. So um, you know, the first step is don't panic and don't punish, uh, because your horse is trying you've given a cue and they're moving their feet they're like i know you're asking for something and i'm going to try and give you something i just don't know what so if the horse is responding to the cue even if it's not with the right answer uh you're already in pretty good shape they're moving their feet if they're moving their feet you can do something with that you can redirect that energy into the maneuver you would like um so uh you know i never i never punish if there's try there and even if there's not try there i I try to avoid really uh, coming down hard on one. I just, I keep asking till I get it and then I reward. So uh, if your cue is to put both heels back uh, and he leg yields instead, uh, what my uh, first suggestion would be, uh, do not release the cue because your horse did the wrong thing. So I see this happen quite a bit, like picking up the wrong lead, for example. Uh, I use my outside leg back uh, to get the correct lead. So if I put my left leg back and actually bring my right leg forward, but that's not really uh, important. I have a specific cue that I use to ask for my right lead. If my horse gives me the left lead, uh, what my instinct to do is is to stop cueing. I stop my horse. I set it all up again, and then I ask again. Well, sometimes you will confuse the horse into thinking he did correct because he did the wrong thing, and you release the cue. So he's like, "Ha ha, the release." happened when I did that thing. So that's the right thing. Uh, cause you know, obviously we can't tell them, no, you silly boy, you didn't get it right. Uh, they have, they only have our cues and the release of cues to go on. So what you need to do is continue the cue that you are using to get the thing you want. Uh, in the case of leg yielding when they should back up. So you put both your heels back The horse does not back, they leg yield. Uh, I would think if I was on the horse, what I would do is use my hands then to redirect that energy backwards instead of off to the side. And then as soon as I get something that even smells like a backup, I'm going to release, give them a short break and then try again. In fact, I actually use this idea of using a lateral maneuver to get the backup, um, to teach the backup. So on a baby colt, if you pull straight back on both reins, their natural instinct is to either do nothing or to push into your reins. Um, They can even panic if they're incredibly sensitive. So it can be very difficult to get a horse to go from completely standing still to backing up off of maybe pulling your reins back or putting both legs on. So what I do to help a colt make the connection is if their feet are already moving, I can just redirect that energy back. It's actually pretty simple. So I teach the backup out of a hind quarter yield. So, cause that's fairly easy to get because it's lateral. Lateral tends to be m- easier to get than a forward and back type of maneuver. So I'll yield the horse's hindquarters, And then while those feet are nice and loose, and stepping around this, that hind end is stepping cleanly around, and the front end is relatively stationary. I'll pick up my reins and direct him back a step and then release. And then I'll build from there. And it'll actually be a little uh, bit of time before I will ask that horse to back up from a complete standstill. That can be a very difficult maneuver for some horses. So, in short, I would maintain your cue for backup. Don't release your legs, keep your legs where they are. If your horse leg yields instead, use your reins to draw that energy back. So the, what you might have go on for a little bit as the horse goes sideways into a leg yield, you just draw them back until they, you feel that weight shift and they take a step back. And then as soon as that happens, release everything, pet on them, and then go again. And I think that should fix your problem.
1: That's a great idea. You're taking that little itty bitty bit of a try to get the light bulb to come on.
2: Yeah, and if their feet are already in motion, yeah. a horse becomes so much lighter in the bridle and lighter to cues if their feet are already going somewhere. Right. Um, it's sort of like uh, if you've ever driven a car without power steering, which I think there's very few of us left. There's four of those um, left in the world, you know. Yes, yes. My first car was a 72 Super Beetle, so and, the power, and it does not have power steering. So when you first start up that car… Um, if you're parked on the street, you started up. If I were to try to turn that car left immediately, uh, it, those tires would grind into the ground and I'd have to strong on that car over. So what I have to do is get the car going and all of a sudden steering, I can steer with one finger. Um, so horses are the same way, especially yeah. teaching things like lateral softness backing. Um, if their feet are already in motion it becomes much easier to cue them into certain maneuvers, uh, whether it's steering, backing, leg yields, things of that nature.
1: I just think, speaking of light bulbs, I just had a thought. Ooh, Because it depends. If your horse is having an issue with his backing up because he doesn't want to engage his core, and in order to back Mm -hmm. up, you need to sit onto your hindquarters just a tiny little bit, right? Using, like we talked about earlier, using the fence to your advantage –
0: Mm-hmm, and
1: mm-hmm. an exercise that might be useful this horse for this horse is that turn back where you are moving along the fence at whatever gate and mm-hmm. you do a 180 t- degree turn by turning towards the fence because the horse is by nature going to sit back onto his haunches and frequently mm-hmm. take at least a half a step back. So for this horse, if leaning onto his haunches, sitting back onto his haunches, shifting his weight. Um, is not something that's going to occur to him naturally. Like, for example, Nigel, that doesn't occur to him naturally. It's not something he would do unless um, environmental conditions required it. In other words, there was a fence in his way or there was a pony about to kick him. Um, That might help him get that light bulb to come on also in a way that doesn't involve your AIDS. It's like his idea.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting idea and uh, definitely worth trying. And yeah, don't underestimate uh, using your environment as a training tool. If I have the fence to help me make a turn, it means I don't have to pull on my horse as hard um, or I will use barn sourness to get correct leads. Um I know when my horse turns to go back to the barn, if we're loping around the pasture, he's going to be most likely to stick that inside shoulder forward at the right time coming around that turn. So if I have problems with the lead, that's where I'll ask him. So using your environment as a training tool is, is a very powerful way of getting some stuff done. Cool. Yay. All right. Who's next? Okay, uh, let's see here. I'm, I'm looking. We got so many. I want to make sure. Um, okay, we have two questions I'm going to lump together because I think they're very uh, similar. From Lulu Clark, we have, any ways to help a horse become more comfortable around deer? Frankly, they start of the crap out of both of us, <laughs> so I know I need to work on myself, too. A friend mentioned that sending him to work on cattle may help if he sees the deer coming. He will just startle in place but if they surprise us he tries to spin and bolt uh, so we have sort of a similar question from Lillian Harmon I have a new mare who's terrified of ATVs when we that we encounter on trail her first reaction even if the ATV is far away is to bolt um, her fear isn't a oh, what is that Kind of fear. Uh, it feels more like a phobia. I have tried to use her energy to move around in big circles, bends, leg yields as the ATV comes closer. I've also tried having her halt and face the object, all resulted in a 180 degree turn and bolting explosion. This mare has an unknown history. Um, and she could have been chased by ATVs or could she have been chased by ATVs at any one of her previous homes? I'm curious Um, about
1: this one because I had a horse with ATV phobia.
2: So I'm curious to hear,
1: hear what you have to say.
2: Yeah, knowing or guessing a horse's history can be very helpful in informing us uh, why are they doing it. Uh, But ATVs are generally scary as heck, Um, whether your horse has had some sort of bad history with them or not. Um, So we'll do the ATV first. Um, What I would suggest, anytime my horse is fearful of a moving object, this could be a cow, a bicycle, a tractor, um, a car. A jogger. A jogger, yes. Uh, what I try to set up, if at all possible, is to get the horse to follow that object. So, this won't work with the deer because obviously, I can't hire a deer to come out every day and uh, you know, jump around my horse till they're used to it. Uh, So, I'll get to the deer specific one in a second, but with the ATV, um, if I can. Manage this if you have one yourself or you know someone with an ATV, you can build a horse's confidence around scary vehicles approaching by having the horse follow it. This is the basic foundation of working a horse on cattle. Uh, if I have a colt that's never seen a cow before, I am not going to go into a herd of cows and just start cutting cows. Um, what I do is I turn the cow loose in a big arena and I you do what's called tracking the cow. I'm going to follow the cow around. Um, and so you can do this. I've done this with horses that were afraid of tractors. Um, anytime a tractor would drag in the arena, my horse would freak out in a stall, so so what I learned to do, this was, this was at a place where I worked is I'd saddle up that horse every morning. And when I knew the tractor was coming in to drag, I'd hop on the horse, point their nose right at the tractor and follow it around. Um, so this will help get your horse around an object and it's relatively safe because the object's not coming at the horse, um, so your horse is much less likely to do a 180 in bolt. Plus, the more you follow that object around, the more their confidence will build. And you'll find they'll actually start going for that tractor and, and really, t- you know, building that confidence and charging forward and chasing it around. Um, so like if they're afraid of cyclists, if you can hire some kid with a bike and ride, you have that kid ride slowly around the arena and you trot your horse behind, you uh, the biggest thing is just to keep that horse's nose pointed right in the middle of that obstacle. Do not let them pass it because if they start passing it, then all of a sudden the obstacle is chasing them yep. and we have a bolting situation. Yeah. So keep now, them. If
1: you have a horse and rider situation where even having one that is on your side that you're going to follow might be a little bit intimidating. You could probably just take that ATV and park it in the middle of the, of the arena Teach the horse that he can get close to it, just like my clothesline, right? That mm-hmm. that works because some horses, it's so deeply ingrained. The smell of the vehicle gets the adrenaline going, and and if the horse, right. if the human has a history, it's going to get the human's adrenaline going, kind of like your diving board. Then you have the thing running in the arena. Or in a Mm -hmm, controlled mm -hmm. situation where you only have to get as close to it as you want. You can hear it. You can see it. It's just sitting there.
2: Yeah, you might start following it from 100 yards back. Right. Uh, You don't have to get nose touching. um, But as long as you keep the object going away from you, you're going to If I get closer,
1: it gets further away from me. Yeah. Yeah.
2: What I find is when I'm following something the horse will tell me when he's ready to get closer. He will actually build speed and start. It's amazing how following something really builds their confidence and they go from this terrified, "Oh my god," to, "Hey, let's go see what this thing is that's running away from me." Because if then it becomes the horse is chasing the object. So he is going to like go, "Hey, hey, where are you going, tractor? Let's go let's see what you're all about." And from there then you could start building on having it come up behind you, but I always start with you, um, going behind it. And yes, so you can have that vehicle parked, um, and, and work on getting up close to it. And here's how I recommend doing that and really any obstacle, whether it's a puddle of water, a tarp, um, I try to avoid just be lining for it and going right up to it and saying, here it is horse. Look at it, you know, because then your horse is going to get, they're going to get really scattery. You'll feel them as you try to push them toward it where they might go right, left, 180. The marbles 180. are going to fall out. I love that analogy, yes. by the way. Yeah. I know. It's my favorite one. Um, So let's say I park an ATV in the middle of my arena. What I will do is I will do a very large circle around it. That circle might be, have to be 100 feet in diameter. You'll know the limit of where your horse is going to be manageable and where, Oh my God, he's going to flee at any moment. So take as much space as you need. And I like to try, I like to do this at the trot because you kind of getting their muscles moving. It's not as, um, out of control is possibly cantering, um, and I think it's a little bit better than the walk. And I get my horse focused. I don't even really look at the ATV. I'm like, we're trotting a big circle. There happens to be an ATV in the middle of it. You work on that circle, soften your horse, lift their shoulder, do what you'd normally do training on the circle. And then every so once, every once in a while, every so often, maybe two or three circles, turn your horse 180 degrees. Toward the object, never ever turn away. This is also a rule from cowork. Oh, never yeah, turn I never away. Of
0: that. Never then it's chasing ever.
2: Him. Yes. Yeah. Never ever turn away from a scary object. Same with cows. If I turn my horse away from the cow, where is the cow now? He's behind me. Now he's chasing me. If I turn him into the cow um we're still facing the cow so I circle around that ATV turn him into the ATV now I'm going the other way what you're gonna find happens and this this has happened to me every time I work on this it might take you days to where you can get have any hope of getting close to the ATV I don't have I don't try to make it happen but what ends up happening is the more the horse turns into an obstacle he gets a chance to see it out of both eyes his confidence naturally builds but unless your horse is the most brilliant horse ever at rollback, you like doing a rollback unless he's an NCHA cutting. Every time he turns in to the object to go the other way, you know, do a reverse and then you're circling the other way actually going to step closer to the object and his circle will start getting smaller and smaller um now whether this takes 20 minutes or 20 days it depends it's up to the horse, but eventually you're going to be circling rather close to that atv um every time i do a session of this if i feel my horse has gotten a little bit closer than he was when he started and i feel like he's relaxed and focused and he sort of let down that kind of oh my god it's gonna kill me Then what I do is I let him rest. Once he makes that that step closer to the object, I stop, let him rest, pet on him. And one of these days, I'm going to get very close to that obstacle. I'll let him rest right up next to it. I will not force him to investigate it. Um, It will usually happen naturally. He'll rest next to that obstacle and he'll go, hey, what's this ATV made of? And you can very cautiously let him kind of touch and inspect it um so always turn into the scary thing uh so with the deer obviously i can't hire a deer to come over um and desensitize my horse uh working the cattle is a terrific suggestion uh because you can track a cow um it, it's a little bit it's a little easier to get a hold of a cow um, so, uh, would if you can uh, do that, I would do that. Um, when you're on the trail, uh, I would always make it a habit. So if you're on the trail, something might come out, ATV, bicycle, deer, whatever, make it a habit to keep your horse engaged the entire length of the trail. I very rarely pitch the reins away, drink a beer and just look at the scenery when I'm on the trail. I'm always doing something. So the serpentine exercise I talked about a little earlier uh, is a great way to keep your horse engaged while keeping and moving down the trail. You won't lose a hold of your group because you're too busy training on something. I just go left and right down the trail asking for very shallow bend. This is a great exercise because you're keeping your horse focused on you. Plus, if something unexpected jumps out on the woods, you are halfway to a one-rein stop. And that's another thing on both of these horses I would definitely teach and practice a lot is one rain emergency stops. That's where you're taking your horse's nose around laterally asking for a hind quarter yield, and getting him to stop his feet. Um, if you, if you do any kind of trail riding or out in the open, you need to teach your horse this maneuver. It's something that will allow you to get control. It can prevent a bolt can prevent a buck. Um, so if that deer runs out, turn your horse, um, do that hindquarter yield and get control of the situation. Um, So that's incredibly important. Uh, But in both of these situations, the more control you have of your horse's feet, you can yield his hindquarters. You can side pass. You can move his shoulders. He can back up. He can go forward. He's soft in the bridle. It's going to exponentially increase your chance of getting control of him if everything goes to heck. So uh, in short keep your horse engaged, follow an object. If you can get that situation set up, if you can manage it, always try to turn into the scary thing instead of a wave. And if all else fails and your horse is like, I got to get out of here, make sure you've practiced a one rein stop hundreds and Billions of times at home in a safe environment. First, it's not going to work for you if you've only done it two or three times. (laughs) And now, when you need it the most, and your horse is going to be at his most quick footed, stiff necked, wide eyes, flared nostril, brain gone um, state that's not where bending is going to help you is unless you've practiced it until it's muscle memory for you both. So that one rain stop, that'll save your life.
1: There you go. One rain stop. So once again, we have way more questions than we have time for. Maybe I next know. time we'll have less guests and more questions.
2: <laughs> yes. I, we'll save we can these. do an all question show. Yeah, well, uh, I you even thought about doing like a Facebook live where cause these, all these questions today were fantastic. Yeah, so idea. I'm saving. Yes. I've got them all hoarded in a vault and yeah. one of these days I'm going to whip out all, all these questions and answer them.
1: Yeah, we'll do that. So uh, we got to wrap it up today. We're running out of time. So you can find links to today's show at horses in the If you haven't done so already, follow us on Facebook horses in the morning. You can follow us on Twitter as well. And we are horse radio there and uh, we will see you next month. And tomorrow we will be back with Friday, really bad ads. Tune in.